Today is a good day. Donald Trump has now been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for a second time, this time from a member of the Swedish parliament. We're now hearing that Bahrain will normalize ties with Israel in a historic peace arrangement. I don't know if it's a deal or how I want to describe it, but normalized ties between these countries is tremendous. And this is just more good news on top of good news over the past couple of weeks with Donald Trump withdrawing troops from the Middle East with the peace agreement between Israel and the UAE. We're on a good track. We're on a track towards peace. But today is also the 19th anniversary of September 11th, 2001. And it's a day of memorial and remembrance for the nearly 3000 people who lost their lives and for all the first responders, police officers, firefighters, EMTs and everybody else who ran into the chaos to try and help, to try and save people. And many of these people who have lost their lives in the years since. It was a terrifying day and it changed the foundation of this country in many ways that some would say are bad. We've had laws, we've had authoritarianism, we've had spying. We've been, we were shocked by what happened on 9-11. But I think we can at least say today is a, is a good day. And I want to show you this photograph before we start and read all of this news. I said this photo was cool. I'm glad to see Americans coming together. It's a picture of Joe Biden and Mike Pence. You can tell they're smiling, even though they're wearing masks. You can see it in their eyes. And they're giving each other a kind of forearm bump. The polarization in this country has been rather nightmarish. And, you know, I've been talking about civil unrest, civil conflict for quite some time. And we even had some discussion earlier this morning about kind of the hyperpolarization. You've got people on the, on the, on the right thinking that Antifa is going around starting these fires. You've got people on the left thinking that like right wing extremists are going around with, with weapons and like, you know, hunting, hunting down people they think are Antifa. And it's just, it's just getting crazy. It's just wildfires, man. There are people who are, who are arsonists who are involved. But then I see this photo and it gives me hope. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Joe Biden. For that matter, really, Mike Pence. I mean, I'm, I'm rather tepid on, 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 on them. Joe Biden takes the spotlight more so because he's, he's running for president. But in this photo, all of that's washed away because we can at least recognize that as Americans, today is a day where we come together. And that makes me feel good. And when I see these stories about Trump's nomination for another Nobel Peace Prize, or I should say a second nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize, it makes me feel great. When I hear this story, I, I got to tell you, man, I was, I was smiling and laughing when I heard that Bahrain will normalize ties with Israel. You need to understand we are, we are on the precipice of longstanding peace in the Middle East. And in its accomplishment for Donald Trump, his administration, and many of and, and these, these countries as well, including Bahrain and Israel, it was only about a week or so ago Bahrain said, no way. We're not going to do it, but, you know, we'll let planes fly over Bahrain. Now, apparently, Israel has said they're set to announce normalized relations. Trump's going to make an announcement later. I'm feeling I'm feeling really optimistic and really hopeful. I just hope that uh, I say this on Twitter. Hopefully we find our way through these dark times and come out stronger. And that's for us here in the United States. But let's take a look at some of the news. First, we have this tweet from Magnus Jacobson, who says, I have nominated the U.S. government and the governments of Kosovo and Serbia for the Nobel Peace Prize for their joint work for peace and economic development through the cooperation agreement signed in the White House. Trade and communications are important building blocks for peace. Many people have pointed out that this is, in fact, a second nomination for, the, for Donald Trump and his administration. I can't read Swedish, but he does say President Donald Trump, uh, Akhan's administration, etc., uh, pertaining to Kosovo. And so I think it's fair to say, you know, what he means by U.S. government is the Trump administration, the efforts they took. And this is fantastic. This is now the second nomination Donald Trump has received. He received a nomination from a Norwegian member of parliament over the UAE Israel normalization and peace deal, which is also just absolutely incredible, man. 
I want to see our troops come back. I want to see normalized relations. I want to see peace, cooperation, and I want to see an end to the fighting. We are, we are a nation that has been at war endlessly, and the American people have had enough of it. I was really inspired when, when, you know, when Tulsi Gabbard was running, the American conservative, I think is the magazine, said Trump should fire Bolton and bring on Tulsi Gabbard instead because there's something that conservatives and progressives have in common. We don't want war. Unfortunately, the resistance establishment Democrat types do. They do want war. I, I don't ask me why. They'll make up whatever reason for it. And there are, there are regular people in this country just follow along with it. And I'm no fan. I've told you, man, I've talked to friends who are like, well, I used to be against war when the left was, but now that the Democrats are kind of for war and angry at Trump, I've thought about it. I actually had a friend tell me they read a neocon think piece, and now they understand why we must remain in the Middle East. And I'm like, what happened to you? This is great news. Donald Trump is doing this. This is fantastic. Take a look at this story. Bahrain to normalize ties with Israeli. Oh, I'm sorry, with Israel. Israeli media say now Reuters is being very careful because Bahrain has not issued a statement yet. So take this all with a grain of salt. It may, I, I really doubt there's like Israeli ambassador is going to come out and be like, it's happening when it's not happening. But, but to be fair, once we get the official confirmation and the statement from Trump, we'll know for sure. So for, for now, it is only mostly, it is asserted by Israel. And, and, uh, and so we'll see how things play out. Reuters says, and I'm showing you this first because I want to make sure that we have a fair assessment of what's potentially happening. Bahrain is to normalize relations with Israel. The diplomatic correspondent for Israel's public broadcaster, Khan, said in a tweet on Friday without citing sources. Another Israeli reporter, Rafael Aren of the Times of Israel, said U.S. President Donald Trump would on Friday announce that Bahrain was joining the United Arab Emirates in formally establishing ties with Israel. The White House has no immediate comment. Trump will on Tuesday host a White House ceremony solemnizing the Israel-UAE deal, which was announced on August 13th. The Cannes reporter, Amichai Stein, said Bahrain Crown Prince Salman bin Hamad al-Khalifa would be in Washington on Monday. So here's the story we have from the Times of Israel. Trump expected to announce Bahrain will join UAE in normalizing ties with Israel. This is a certified confirmed source. I'm going to go ahead and trust them on this one. They say two sources tell Times of Israel that announcement expected later Friday small island kingdom long believed to be next in line to establish ties with the Jewish Jewish state. They say, according to the officials, Trump will make the announcement at the White House at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So by the time you've watched this, it must have already happened. Hopefully it was not immediately clear whether Bahrain will join the formal signing of the so-called UAE Israel Abraham Accord at the White House on September 15th, or simply issue a statement about its intentions to establish relations with Israel. Israel's Cannes public broadcaster reported the Bahraini crown prince, Salman bin Hamad al-Khalifa, would be arriving in Washington on Monday. The kingdom of Bahrain, a tiny, tiny island nation close to the UAE and Saudi Arabia, has been expected to be the next country to establish relations with Israel, as long as it made public overtures to the Jewish state. Now, I, I want to make a point real quick. This, this, kind of, this kind of subject is, is a bit esoteric and it's hard for people to follow. I, I know a lot of people probably don't pay attention to international conflict and foreign policy. I, 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 I wish they would because I feel like a lot of our resources, time and energy as Americans are wasted overseas. And I don't want to say completely wasted, but I, I just think we would be doing better building our, ro- our own roads, our own infrastructure. And we got pipes in Flint that could use some, some you know, uh, let's just say uh, some fixing, to put it mildly. We got, we got problems in our own country. We got lead in the water. We got crumbling roads and bridges. 
And we can start allocating these resources back home and not be this force going into other countries. Now, I, I guess there's points to be made about, uh, I, I had a talk with Sean Parnell on the IRL podcast who mentioned we, we probably will need some people to remain a small force in, uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq to make sure there's not a humanitarian crisis and to prevent something like ISIS from happening again. And that I understand. We'll, we'll talk about this in a second. But what we're seeing here with, with Bahrain, and you need to understand, is that many of these Arabic nations do not recognize Israel as an actual place. And if you go to Israel, you can't actually go to many of these other countries. So there's a couple of things that people do. When you go to Israel, when I went, they didn't stamp my passport. They gave me like a card and put it in my passport. I guess the issue is they know if they put that stamp in there and someone sees it, it could get you in trouble in other places. And considering they literally are in the Middle East, well, you might need to go to other countries around the Middle East. And if they see that in your passport, they're going to say, no way, because that's not a real place. The normalization of ties means we might, might, we might actually see, look, Bahrain said they wanted a Palestinian state. And a week ago, they said they weren't going to normalize relations. This just means more conflict, more crisis, more pain, more suffering, more U.S. dollars going overseas, which you got to realize, too. Let's 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 put this in terms of American economy. We spend a ton of money on defending Israel, on, on giving them grants uh, uh, to to help protect them because they are a strong ally of the U.S. in the Middle East. And a lot of people like to ask, why? Why is that? I've seen leftists say, you don't even, you can't even tell me why America is an ally to, you know, why, why Israel and America are great allies. And I, I actually can. It's because uh, Israel is actually a, a very democratic country in a sense. Like they have normalized democratic institutions. You can, uh, it, it, listen, there, there are things you can do in Israel. It's very, very prosperous and very westernized, to put it mildly. I don't, I don't, I don't want to pur- purport to know what kind of rights or, or, you know, civil rights or whatever you have in Israel, but I'll just tell you, I've been there and it's much more progressive, to say the least, than many of these other countries. So they're a great ally because they represent freedom and democracy a, a bit more so than some of these other countries. Now, I know many people on the left would say that's not true. Take a look at Palestine. And I'm, and, and I'm, uh, you, you, yeah, absolutely. We got to figure out that problem. And that is one of, that is like the problem. How do we solve that, the, you know, the conflict between Israel and, and, and the Palestinian territories and whether there'll be a Palestinian state. But I'll tell you this, one of the ways that we do solve this problem and we do bring about true peace in the Middle East and whatever the solution might be, I believe it needs to start with the normalization of relations with Israel and other countries because Israel will exist. Some of these countries have said they shouldn't. No, Israel does and should. Now, how that pertains to the, the freedom of the Palestinian people, that's a different question. Because I believe the Palestinian people have their, their human rights as well. We want to solve this problem. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about, you know, how, how this you know, will be solved or whatever. But I'll tell you this. When I see countries offering up these peace agreements, these normalization uh, of uh, normalization of relations, Kosovo is part of that deal are going to be recognizing Israel as well. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 Kosovo. Then it's good news. Whatever moves us towards peace. And if we can get a bunch of countries to recognize Israel, and then we start dealing with the problems, not through physical violence, but through trade and, and, and conversation and, you know, uh, political relations. Well, then we're going to be better off, man. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of jokes about how we could end war, like replace war with like world, you know, the World Cup or something. If you want to get into a fight over territory, we'll play a soccer game. Whoever wins, you know, can move forward in the territory or something like that. There's jokes like that. But it's because we'd much rather not have to die 
over uh, these political issues, and we'd much rather find compromise. And I think it's fair to say everybody wants world peace. Now, I, I know I say everybody, but I'm, I'm sure there's a decent amount of people who do not want world peace. They just call those people villains, I guess. They want war for profit. And like Trump said, man, they don't like him. They don't like him because Trump is doing it. I'm, I'm so excited for this stuff, man. You have no idea. I am so excited for this stuff. And Trump is pulling it off. And I'm, 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 I am waiting for the left, the progressive anti-war people to come out and be like, we're going to vote for Trump for these reasons. Of course, the left says Trump is still playing to a lot of these weapons manufacturers and things like that. I'll tell you what, man, you got an opportunity right now. Okay. Joe Biden wants to draw down our troops, he says, but he wants to leave several thousand there to make sure, you know, uh, there's not a, there's not a humanitarian crisis and to make sure that there's not terrorists who come in and you don't want to create a power vacuum. I don't know if 2000 is the right number, but I'll tell you this. I, c- I can respect saying you want to end the wars and you want to do it tactfully, but I'm sorry, I don't trust Joe Biden. I don't because the Obama administration promised to end all these wars. And what did they do? It was it like seven new wars, some ridiculous amount of war. Like it was just, it was just like nonstop. Donald Trump is doing it right now. And I, he didn't even ask me to vote for him. I didn't want to vote for him. I was like, nah, get out of here. I don't believe it. And instead of making a promise, he did make the promise, mind you, he says he's going to end these forever wars. He's doing it. He's actually withdrawing the troops. He's actually setting up peace agreements. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to take the win, man. I'm going to take the win. Trump, Trump is not, not anywhere near as bad as they say he is in the press. And this is a major victory for people of the world, in my opinion. Is it perfect? No. Will, will there still be conflict? Of course there will be. Is there still going to be death? Yes. Is this going to create some complications? Yes. But it's a net positive across the board. Let's read a little bit more. Trump hinted during a Thursday press conference that another country may join Israel and the UAE for their normalization signing ceremony at the White House. Next week at the White House, we'll, we'll be having a signing between the UAE and Israel, and we could have another country added into that. And I will tell you that countries are lining up that want to go into it, Trump said during a White House press briefing. You'll be hearing other countries coming in over a relatively short period of time, and you could have peace in the Middle East. Fingers crossed. This would be historic. If Look, already with the UAE, the dominoes are coming down. Peace is, is starting to become uh, visible. It's, it's become, you know, it's, it's becoming into focus. Maybe Trump deserves a peace prize for this. Or maybe we want to say, you know what? This is the prize. Like this moment, if Trump can, can secure many different countries coming together, could you imagine normalized relations with countries like Iran and North Korea? I'd love to see it. And I feel like we're moving in that direction. I don't know if Trump's going to be able to pull it off. I don't know if he'll win. And I don't know if Congress or, 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 you know, the Democrats or the Republicans that have blocked him from trying to withdraw troops in the past are going to be on board with a lot of the things he's done. And the media in the U.S. has dragged and insulted Trump for going and meeting with Kim Jong-un and trying to normalize and stabilize relations. Trump tweeted out something about Kim Jong-un being in good health, saying you can't keep him down. And people were like, what's this? And they were insulting and criticizing Trump. And it's like, listen, man, we know North Korea is bad. OK, we know they're doing bad things. You, Trump's playing up to these people saying, I'm not going to drag you. I'm not going to insult you. Let's talk because you have to start somewhere. You have to you have to compromise in terms of rhetoric. I'm not saying compromise in terms of what they're doing. Absolutely not. They've got gulags. They got concentration camps. Or I, I shouldn't call them concentration camps. They, they got essentially work camps. I don't think it's necessarily the same as what China is doing, but they put their dissenters in camps and, and, and sentence, sentence them to forced labor. We want to end all this stuff, you know, to, 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 to a, a certain degree, like obviously prisons will still exist, but we want to get rid of all these horrifying things, normalize trade. 
Trump has been doing that. He really has. And I'm really excited for what's going to happen next. Let's read more. Trump did not elaborate on the country that might be added into the signing and did not specify which countries might attend the Tuesday ceremony, but said that a number of big ones are going to come in and mentioned having spoken recently to Saudi Arabia's King Salman. I spoke to the king of Saudi Arabia, so we're talking. We just started the dialogue. Oh, man, I'm just it wasn't clear if Trump meant that another country could join Israel and the UAE at the ceremony or join their normalization agreement. In the weeks since the normalization deal was announced on August 13th, U.S. and Israeli officials have said other Arab states will follow the UAE's lead and normalize ties with Israel, with speculation including Oman and Bahrain. Saudi Arabia and Bahrain agreed to allow Israeli planes to use their airspace following the normalization agreement in what was seen as a significant step forward toward warmer relations, but have expressed hesitation about normalization with Israel. Bahrain's king recently told the White House advisor, uh, Jared Kushner, who is a key player in the normalization push, that Manama would only ink a deal in concert with Saudi Arabia. And Riyadh's crown prince told Kushner that an Israeli-Palestinian peace accord must precede any normalization agreement in line with the 2002 Arab Peace Initiative. King Salman and the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, they feel very strongly about the Palestinian cause. They would like to see the Palestinians work a fair deal and improve the lives of their people, Kushner told reporters during a briefing on Wednesday. But again, they're going to do what's in the best interest of Saudi Arabia and the Saudi people and Muslim people from throughout the world as they take that responsibility very seriously, Kushner said. We'll see what happens and for how long. You know, they want to do it. But I will say that a lot of people are losing patience with the Palestinian leadership. They go on to mention for his, uh, for his part, Trump on Thursday made a point in lauding UAE Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed al Nayan for his willingness to formalize relations with Israel. Trump called the UAE's de facto leader a warrior and said Mohammed's very excited about this. It's amazing. It really, really is amazing. Now, listen, Joe Biden recently said that he the U.S. must maintain a small force in the Middle East, has no plans for major defense cuts. I'm not saying he's wrong. I've had conversations with people who agree with Biden uh, that there's got to be some small force in the Middle East. I can respect that. Donald Trump seems to want to just get us out of these wars. We'll see how Trump plays it. With Biden, you seem to be getting a kind of middle of the road. Yes, yes, I'll give you what you want, but but we'll still have some forces there. The major issue, however, is that I just I just don't trust uh, Joe Biden. I want to I want to I want to be as uh, um, cordial as I can in, in this segment pertaining to Biden, especially considering what, the, the, what today is and recognize this is just a plain disagreement. And I have little faith in Joe Biden as he was the vice president under Obama. And here's the story from the L.A. Times. This is from January 13th, 2017. President Obama, who hopes to sow peace, instead led the nation in war, several wars. And, and, and I am not enthused about it. And he signed the Na- National Defense Author- Authorization Act with the indefinite detention provisions. He re-upped the AUMF, which was the authorization for use of military force in the Middle East, which is fairly standard, but still just is the persistence of you know, conflict in the Middle East. And we, we, we didn't get what we, were, what we were told we were going to get with Obama. That's why I voted for him the first time, not the second time. We also have this story from NPR. Pledging to end two wars, Obama finds himself tang- entangled in three. There's a lot of conflict, a lot of war, and it's unfortunate. And Joe Biden might actually believe these things. I honestly, I, I don't think so. I do not trust the man. I'm sorry. I can respect that photo of him and Mike Pence and say thank you for coming together on, 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 on a day like today and re- to never forget to remember 9-11. But still, Joe, Joe Biden seems to be uh, to, uh, seems to be pandering. 
I'm looking at a president right now who's got a, a an issue with um, Trump. Trump just speaks. You know what I mean? He just starts talking and then he goes off on these tirades and there's there's issues of whether he's going to give a cohesive speech. And he says, well, I don't get a teleprompter. And then he just kind of trails off and will be like, yeah, but Biden this and Biden that. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the bombastic character stuff. Some people really like it. But I'll tell you what, I don't care about that. You know why? Because these peace agreements seem to be coming into focus. They're happening. This is real. This is what matters. Trump could come out and, 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 and he could, he could uh, recite, you know, the seven words you can't say on TV, do the whole bit by George Carlin and just spit and yell and point fingers and call everyone the worst name in the book. And I'm going to be like, are you done? Because that peace deal you got done, I love it. I don't care what he says at this point. I want to see him do better, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to remember this come November and we're going to see what happens in the next coming months. I think we've got more on the way that's uh, in line with peace agreements. And that's what the American people have wanted forever. There are some people in this country that are evil and they want to make money and they want to keep pumping out weapons and machines, sending them over to these countries, taking the oil. Donald Trump just come out and says it. He's like, we withdrew many troops from Syria. We got a bunch guarding the oil. And I just laugh. I'm like, I think he, I think Trump has got his. Here's what I think. I think Trump has made a ton of mistakes. I do not like a lot of his foreign policy decisions with drones, with with missile strikes and with commando raids. I think he's improving. But I also think that Trump inherited this foreign policy problem from the past several presidents. And so he's kind of got no choice in some regards. So he just kind of just blurts out what's going on because he doesn't like it. I genuinely believe Trump doesn't want to be in these wars. He's spoken out against them before he was president a long time ago. And I think he's kind of got his hands tied. And they really, the media, the, the military industrial complex, the establishment, they want the wars. They don't want it to stop. They want to be the big name, man. They want to be the, they want to be the people who control it all. They want to force people to bend the knee to them. Trump just wants to make America safe and secure and great. He's got character issues, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, man. So many of the bad things he's done is being washed away when I see these peace agreements. Should he get a Nobel Peace Prize? I don't know, but I would say he's more deserving than many, many people. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. It is a different channel, and I will see you all then. We have new information about a man who was arrested for intentionally starting a brush fire. This man is a Black Lives Matter supporter. He is a protester. And according to Cairo 7, he was frequently attending defund the police protests. We now have more information on the man. However, is there a widespread coordinated campaign by the far left anti-fascists to go around starting massive wildfires? No, 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 no. The problem I have with the stories we're seeing now is that this this story from Cairo 7 the actual video story gets into detail and does a pretty good job confirming some details and saying, yeah, this guy was a common uh, uh, character at many of the defund the police protests and was actually arrested six years ago for having a bunch of illegal weapons at a protest for um, Mike Brown. So it was a Black, Black Lives Matter protest. But the story itself omits a whole bunch of details. And then we have other stories like this one from the New York Times, where they say, False rumors that activists set wildfires exasperate officials, and they don't tell you about the, this guy who we know to be a Black Lives Matter supporter. This guy was seen on the side of the road. Uh, he, uh, he claims in a live stream that he called the police. The police apparently questioned him. And according to the story from Cairo, this guy had been stopped by the cops before. He was carrying a lighter 
And other people called in saying they saw him carrying cardboard and a lighter. They believed he was trying to set a fire. The police were apparently able to stop the fire. It did get decently large, but relatively small compared to any other wildfires. And this is a contributing story to this massive false rumor that Antifa is going around and setting fires. It's, it's, it's just not the case. And now there are some, what's, that, what's happening now, I feel, I feel like everybody's so on edge. It's really easy for rumors like this to go wild. Now, here's the big problem I see with this New York Times story. False rumors that activists set fires. They need to tell us that this guy was an activist and he did set the fire and then explain how it's not a widespread coordinated effort to chill people out. But there's more. Both sides, I, 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 yeah, we're playing both sides, have a, 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 a reaction to this. Many people on Twitter on the right are saying we know Antifa is doing this because of this activist. Okay, no evidence there yet. But on the left, when people are coming out to defend their property because there are arsonists setting fires, and I've got, I've got the proof, I've got, I've got the sources. They say it's right-wing terror. Everybody is viewing everything through the lens of culture war and civil conflict of some sort, which is not bode well for uh, this country. No, the people who are coming out with guns saying, hey, who are you and what are you doing are not right-wing terrorists trying to hunt down Antifa. There's real stories about arsonists. There's a story in, in the story from Cairo 7 of a guy like spraying gasoline all over the place and trying to set a fire. Not an Antifa guy, just a lunatic. In fact, this Cairo, this, this story from Cairo 7 about this guy, this guy from Puyallup who was arrested and is an activist. I don't, I don't think him starting fires had anything to do with defunding the police. But I think if we really want to help people understand what's happening, you can't ignore the fact that he is a Black Lives Matter supporter. Was he supporting Black Lives Matter for, by starting a brush fire? No, he's probably just a crazy guy. So we've got a bunch of posts from him. And I want, I want, I want to kind of break things down. And I want to show you about what's going on with the arson. And I want to talk to you about the, the response we're seeing now from leftist media, where they're acting like right wing groups are going around panic that Antifa is all over the place. And that may be true to a certain extent, which is why everybody need to chill. OK, need to chill. Check us out from heavy.com. Jeff Accord, Black Lives Matter supporter, streamed his arrest while filming Washington Fire from Heavy. This is a story, five things you need to know. They say Jeffrey Accord was arrested in Puyallup, Washington, in suspicion of being connected to a fire that started in Washington. Police said on Twitter that he was caught starting a fire, and Accord said he happened upon the fire while looking for a lost camera. He was previously arrested during a Ferguson protest in 2014. So they say Ferguson protest. Okay. He was arrested in Seattle. I believe it was in Seattle over the, uh, the killing of Mike Brown. I believe it was in Seattle. Actually, do I have the, uh, I, I do, uh, is a Ferguson protest in Seattle. They call it a Ferguson protest. It's going to confuse people. They say he recently posted on social media about supporting Black Lives Matter, but not supporting looting and hurting local businesses. In fact, he called it out. He said, this is bad. He said the, the, the event, the, the, the protest need to be heard and not seen. Accord's name has gone viral on social media posts claiming he's a member of Antifa, but his posts appear to show Black Lives Matter support, not Antifa. Specifically, here's what you need to know. I'm going to stop right there. You see, this is the point I've been trying to make. Everybody keeps saying the people out in Portland wearing all black and the people marching in the streets are Antifa. I tried to draw a distinct distinction and I've said over and over again, no, these are Black Lives Matter people. It is different. Black Lives Matter is a top-down organization. They have funding. They have local chapters. They have membership. 
The people who are going out and protesting don't care about communism. Some of them do. But many of them are just anti-police brutality protesters who have donned black gear and are now engaging in violence. Call it out for what it is, man. And it's, it's, it's almost like an, it, people consistently saying Antifa for everything are excusing the fact that it's Black Lives Matter. Now, I'll tell you this. People are going around claiming that Antifa are starting these fires. The only story we have about an activist starting a fire is a Black Lives Matter supporter. So don't apologize for them by deflecting to the nebulous group Antifa. We know that there are various chapters of Antifa, yes, but they're not engaged in this as far as we can tell right now. Here's what they say. He was arrested after filming a Facebook live video where where a fire had just started. Also, I got to point out in the Cairo 7 story, he got arrested for starting the fire. This is crazy. And then... I kid you not. They said as soon as they released him, he walked to a gas station and burglarized it. So this is not a good dude. I don't think his committing crimes in any way has anything to do with some kind of political motivation. On September 9th, a 36-year-old man from Puyallup, Washington, was arrested on suspicion of starting a fire on State Route 167. Although the article didn't name him specifically, it did link to a video that Jeff Accord posted on Facebook, noting that he was the man arrested and he had been filming live on Facebook before his arrest. In his video, Accord said he happened upon the fire while looking for a lost camera. He, he posted this, lost my camera bag on the way from Puyallup to Bellevue a couple hours ago, possibility around Kent on Highway 167. You can watch the live video he posted to Facebook below, which was a public video. It has some profanity in it. He posts under the name Jeff Demologic Accord. Now, we don't even know if he started the fire, okay, to be, look, innocent until proven guilty. So here's the video. You can see the guy. Maybe he didn't actually do anything. In the video, Accord is wearing a mask and saying that he just rolled up on the fire. He said that he was there with police because he had just called the fire in. He zoomed in on the fire in the 39 minute video and said it was growing and crossing the road. Oh my God, he said in the video. I hope they're shutting that S down, dude. He said he pulled over to call the fire in and told the police that he wished he had a fire extinguisher on him when he pulled up. I've put out fires before, man. He could be heard saying, talking about how it was a house fire back then. The smallest thing can start a fire. That wind's not helping right now. It looks like it's spreading pretty quick, dude. I'm getting concerned. I'm more concerned about the effing houses right there. He said he was glad he called in the fire when he did, as it might have helped give them extra time to, re- to respond early. He later said he lost an expensive camera the day before and was trying to find it. He told police he was up and down the freeway four or five times that day looking for his camera and had walked four or five miles looking for it. At one point, about 17 minutes in, uh, you can hear an official saying, I've got, a, I've got lots of concerns about why you're here today. Police had a different story about what happened. Ryan Burke told uh, a, a state police trooper, a patrol trooper, uh, told Fox Q13 that a cord was found in the SR-167 median after police had talked to him earlier when he was walking on the highway while carrying a lighter. On Twitter, Burke wrote that a 36-year-old Puyallup resident was caught in the median setting a fire. Now, let's be careful, man. I'm all about that innocent until proven guilty. Was this guy really looking for his camera and he just had a lighter in his pocket because he smokes? Is that what, or did he have a lighter in his hand? Apparently, according to the report from Cairo, other people called 911 because they said they saw a man with a lighter carrying cardboard. So I lean towards this guy, you know, he's probably setting fires and they caught him doing it. But hey, look, man, innocent until proven guilty. They say about 29 minutes into the video, you can hear police questioning him about his lost camera. Accord is listed in Pierce County, Washington's website as being booked into Pierce County Corrections uh, on September 10th at 4 a.m. The arresting agency is listed as Puyallup Police Department. The charge is burglary too. 
They go on to mention he's also he's also charged with reckless burning in second degree. Well, Cairo seven said that the dude literally got released from jail and then went and uh, uh, burglarized the store. So sure, whatever, man. Some people just want to watch the world burn. You know what I mean? They go on to say that he was previously arrested during Ferguson protests. This we know. Here's a photo of it. We've got more information. He's a Black Lives Matter supporter, but posted that he disagreed with looting, saying straight up that uh, the message needs to be heard and not seen. They mentioned he's a DJ and he set up a GoFundMe to help the local music industry. That's not so relevant. I'll tell you this. We got it. We got it. We got to be very, very careful about these wild rumors that are going around, because while The New York Times isn't painting a, a, a picture, they, they don't mention this guy. They just say a man was a 36 year old guy was arrested. So what happens when people see this story? They watch the video. They see. Look, look at this. Heavy posts the actual uh, screenshot from the public website for the for Pierce County. You can see the dude's been arrested. You can see he was charged with reckless burning in the second degree. We know he's a Black Lives Matter supporter. So when mainstream media doesn't point this out and then try and say, but, but, you know, here's the thing. You end up with people saying the media is lying. There are wild rumors going around. It's sweeping across social media. And it is, it is, it is not the case. Even Andy No has been tweeting. This is not their MO. They're not going to go and burn down brush fire. Like that, that makes no sense. In fact, many of these people are probably environmentalists. So if anything, they probably want to put the fires out. We can criticize these groups. We can criticize these people for what they should be criticized for and not have wild rumors go crazy. Because I'll tell you what happens, man. Check this out. Justin Yao tweeted this. He looks like I believe he's a, he's a freelance journalist. We were approached by an armed group telling us to leave. They are wary of outsiders based on rumors of arsonists setting fires in the area. Well, arsonists are setting fires in the area. Cairo seven. We got another one. Second man arrested for intentionally starting brush fire. Here's Oregon live man arrested on arson allegation in wildfire west of Eugene. It's Oregon. We got this story. Uh, Cairo seven says in Graham, a person was seen intentionally setting fire to a field in front of a business. This was 100% intentional. There is zero doubt, said Jonas Petit. People are intentionally starting these wildfires. Not all of them. But, but there's still many instances of confirmed arson from various reputable agencies. So I, I guess because of this, what you end up getting is people who know we've seen it. There's arson. We know. And then you get a story about this Black Lives Matter guy and the media won't tell you they need to they need to specifically say, yes, we know about the Black Lives Matter guy. Yes, we know he was arrested for burning stuff. We do not believe it was politically motivated and we do not believe it is widespread. And now what happens is the is the inversion of the problem. This guy shows shows this picture where you can see the sign. It says fire danger, extreme. Keep Oregon green. You can see three guys, one of which is clearly armed with some kind of uh, rifle. The man to the left may be armed, but he's facing away. So we don't know. We know there's one guy here who is armed and they say that uh, they, they, they were told to leave by this group. We also have this this tweet from Jennifer Paulson. She says, apparently, I came very close to being shot by a group of vigilantes from my hometown last night. My partner and I were followed in his car. People were posting his license plate all over various community pages, making multiple reports to the police. After a conversation, police officers from the town, we uh, uh uh, after a conversation, I believe with police officers, we were alerted that people were out in the area armed and looking for us. Lots of threats for what you ask. They thought we were the Antifa members starting fires. To be clear, we were taking pictures of the already raging fires in the area. What the actual F 
Paranoia is very real in rural America. Get your S together, Malala. Maybe evacuate the area that is on fire instead of roaming the streets with guns. Of course, now we can see they say things like this is how right wing terrorism works or, or would start in the Jim Crow South. It would start with a rumor and then people would grab their guns, hop in their trucks or roam about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it, man. Right wing terror. This is not right wing terror. These guys who are coming out with guns are local rural folk who heard stories and said, we don't want people starting fires. Some people are being arrested for starting fires. So I'm not going to pretend that I, I think, she, look, to what evidence does she have that these people thought they were anti-fun starting fires? Therein lies the bigger problem, okay? If you want to come out and claim that Antifa is, is, is starting all these fires, you're going to need some evidence. And a lot of people were highlighting this Black Lives Matter guy saying he was Antifa. And I think it's fair to point out that people think and they use Antifa as more of a catch-all term for leftists. Don't do that. Antifa is a very specific ideology. They're, they're, they're revolutionary communists, and they will manipulate left-wing causes to gain power and, and gain traction. But admittedly, a lot of the protests have died down, and, and that's, that's on Trump. The, ever since the deputization of the OSP, of the Oregon State Police, seems like everything's chilling out. Now, this may be the calm before the storm because they're supposed to be doing this White House thing in six days. Maybe they're driving across the country and getting prepared. That's a possibility. It's also true that the FBI has gone in and started arresting a ton of these people. So that may be all chilled out for now. In fact, I didn't see any stories about anything last night for the most part. Maybe some some, some dance party happened like the night before, but it seems like Trump got a handle on these things. Is he going to get credit for it? No, of course not. Now, there, there is a funny side note, but I, maybe I'll talk about this later. A poll shows that uh, people in Portland believe the police aren't using enough force against the protesters. The problem with this poll is that you can see that people really don't know what's going on with this Antifa stuff. The, the Black Lives Matter and Antifa people who are out in Portland, they are getting arrested. The problem is the district attorney is cutting them all loose. And anyway, I'm not going to get into a tangent about the Portland protests. I think Trump has pretty much wrapped that up. What I want to say is, while, you right now, while you're right now having people say that Antifa is going around starting all these wildfires, you have leftists going around claiming that right-wing terror groups are going around and hunting down Antifa. And it's like, dude, stop. Stop, man. When I see a photo of some dude standing on a street with a weapon, he's not calling you Antifa. He's just saying, don't know, don't care, don't want the arson because the arson exists. What I have now in front of you is a map that people are showing of all of the separate fires uh, in the United States. And we can see that the, the Midwest and the East Coast are mostly falling. But man, the West Coast is really burning up. Now, I absolutely want to make clear, this looks like the fires are bigger than they really are. When you zoom in, they're actually not that big. They're little tiny fires. I just wanted to show you a map of the US. And I'll explain this too. So take a look at this, right? You can see that some of these fires are really big, really, really big. Okay, check this out. You move up and you can see some of these fires are actually very, very tiny. There are a lot of fires, and they are rather massive. When you zoom out, though, people are sharing this image. Here's some more, you know, we'll debunk some more misinformation. They're zooming out so you can see all of these fires, and then they're screen grabbing it so it looks like literally the entire West Coast is on fire. There are, I, I would say it's, it's very, very uh, relatively small, but look, you can see these fires are actually fairly significant. If we're going to get a handle on these things and we want to function as a society, we got to deal with these tribalist problems, man. I, I tell you, this is serious. How, look, they actually have fires listed in Tacoma. Like I'm pretty sure it's not a wildfire. Oh, it is a wildfire. Wow. In the city. Hey, well, there you go. Some of these are pretty big, but listen, we got problems in this country, man. We do. 
We 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 have this this immediate uh, need. Like everybody is so on edge, and this is why I'm not. I'm not trying to be all pessimistic about it for what's going to happen after November third. I hope we just get a clean election. And personally, I don't want Biden to win. But you know, as long as everything transitions smoothly, I'll be I'll be happy with it. But when you can't even have the you know natural disasters without people accusing each other, we're we're, we're looking at this point where the, tri- the, the it's it's just tribes and the other side is pure evil. I think Antifa is uh, zealous extremists, and I believe many of them are evil. I think many of the higher uh, higher ranking Democrats are absolutely evil in the sense that they're lying and cheating and, and stealing to try and gain power over us. But I believe that most of these people on the left are just being whipped up in a frenzy by fake news, and they need someone to accurately explain to them what's going on. But that, that divide is becoming so intense that I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced it can be bridged anymore because I have high profile friends espousing these, these ideologies and these narratives, and they're absolutely pushing the fake news conspiracies from the left. How often do we get fringe fake news conspiracies from the mainstream right? You actually don't. Now, there's the Q stuff I know, and there's like the pizza stuff, but that's, that's not mainstream. That is not coming from the mouths of politicians or high level, you know, high profile pundits. It's for the most part, people on the right, like I'll give you an example. Andy No, okay, he's the guy who documents Antifa and he's come out and said straight up, this is not Antifa doing this. It is not their MO. On the left, however, they're screaming that the, the armed militias are hunting down Antifa or, you know, it's a little bit extreme that they're, they're actually, no, I think that's actually what they said. We see it all the time. Far right extremists, you get, you get a, a group of Trump supporters with masks on and they call it a right wing militia. It's like, are these people aren't even armed. They're just, just a fat middle-aged dude supporting Trump and they'll call it a right-wing militia. The left is, is at the mainstream level, like Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, high-profile pundits pushing extremist conspiracy theories. And I don't, know how, I don't know how we deal with that. I really don't. And so that makes me concerned, concerned about what's going to happen next. If, if there are people who are actually going out with guns, I'm not, I'm not surprised because arson exists. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Nobody's shooting you. They're just saying, hey, what are you doing? And you can be like, just taking pictures, man. And they'll say, okay. And maybe they'll want to follow you. And they'll be like, we want to make sure nobody's setting fires. So what? People are allowed to to walk around in public. And if you're going around in public, they can follow you as well. On the left, if they're going to go around claiming that this is the Jim Crow South and right-wing terror and stuff, y'all are escalating it, man. We don't want that. We don't want that. Look, man, these wildfires are bad. And I hope everyone stays safe. And these photos coming out of California and and, and Oregon are crazy, man. The sky is red. And these are in big cities, too. This is a natural disaster. What do we need to do? We need our our, our firefighters and emergency services to deal with it. But I guess I guess ultimately, here's the point, man. If we can't even if we can't even have a natural disaster because wildfire season happens without partisan tribalism, the left screaming climate change, the right screaming Antifa, the left screaming right wing terror. I'm 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 not uh, I'm not confident about you know where we're headed because the tribal lines are being drawn and and they've been drawn and that divide is massive. So you know I'll I'll, I'll throw it to Bill Barr and to use a, a, a I don't I don't know what kind of humor you'd call this but Bill Barr said you know they want to change up the rules of the election at a time when the country is so polarized they're playing with fire. Yeah man definitely playing with fire and this. This whole thing may be one of the more disconcerting things that it's it's literally a wildfire, man. 
You know, it's not some big widespread Antifa conspiracy. And no, it's not, you know, evil right wing terror. People need to chill out. I'll leave it there. And I, and I hope for everybody's safety, I hope the firefighters uh, get a handle on these fires because some of these are, are seriously massive. And I, I just hope everybody's okay. And we should focus on the, on the safety of the individuals involved first and foremost. But if we rush to this political space, man, we're not going to be able to do the right thing because, well, people are going to panic. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see you all then. The Democrats have made a huge mistake with their strategy for going up against Donald Trump. See, they want to go after Trump on the coronavirus, thinking it's a weak spot for him because Trump's approval rating on his response to COVID is actually not very good. In fact, Donald Trump's general aggregate approval rating is pretty low and head to head with Joe Biden, his polls aren't doing so well. I can give you a million and one reasons to suggest that Donald Trump is going to lose if you look at the mainstream media. But it's all been a big mistake. This is not the issue that Americans care about. A new poll came out just within the past week or so, showing that about two thirds of people lie to pollsters. I find this poll particularly funny because it's itself a paradox. If people are lying to pollsters, why should I trust that poll? Sure, fine, whatever. But most of us know about the secret Trump voter, people who won't really tell the pollsters that they're going to vote for Trump. And I have reason to believe the secret Trump voters actually, well, actually, there are more of them than people realize. You know why? It's actually very simple. There's an old saying from back in 1992, you may have heard quite a bit. It's the economy, stupid. Do people really care about the riots? They do. I do. That's a big issue for me. So I'm sure many people actually care about this. Do people care about the COVID response? Yeah, I, I think so. But the Democrats are putting too much weight on Trump and not on the Democrats and the, uh, the, uh, the Democratic governors and the mayors who actually were in charge of their state's response. But Donald Trump is actually favored on economic issues. He's always been because for the first three and a half or so years of Trump's presidency, the economy was amazing. And nobody thinks Joe Biden is going to do a good job. Well, OK, some people do, but Trump is still favored, especially in battleground states. Yet still, Joe Biden tries to go after Trump on COVID. Here's a story from The Guardian. Joe Biden decries Trump's almost criminal COVID response. Democrat tells CNN uh, president wave the white flag on the virus. Trump attacks ABC's John Carl as a disgrace to your employer. I don't care about that last part. The point is, once the riots were out of the news cycle, because they're kind of dying down. And to be honest, that's credit to Donald Trump. Deputizing the feds in Portland seems to have worked. And now the people that are coming out to protest are doing it peacefully because the extremists are gone. This is an opportunity for Democrats to swoop in, change the news cycle. And in fact, unfortunately, it does seem to hurt Trump. Now, I don't know for sure if that's why the riots are stopping. It could be they're driving to D.C. for that big White House siege. But of course, Joe Biden goes back on the offensive and says, aha, COVID. But they know better. NBC News. Democrats are nervous about Trump's persisting edge over Biden on the economy. Well, they should be more than nervous. They should be panicking because I've got more polls, uh, assuming we can trust them. Now, guess what? The economy is the most important issue for Americans. So even if someone comes out and says, yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter and the orange man is bad, they're going to walk in that voting booth and they're going to be like, you know what? I, I know Trump is bad, but man, that that money is just too good to pass up. And I think that's why Trump is actually winning where it matters. Now, people can come out and say whatever they want about their moral character. And nobody wants to like who, who wants to come out publicly and say, I don't care about issues of justice. I just want money. Nobody. Nobody's going to say that. But I'll tell you what, they'll vote for it. 
Now, of course, this could just be wishful thinking. The polls are really bad for Trump. So we will see if there really is a secret Trump voter because the polls are wrong, then maybe he could win. But for now, if you're a Trump supporter, you better be on you better be uh, vigilant uh, and uh, ready to go vote, to put it mildly. Let's read the news. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give. I got a P.O. box if you'd like to send me stuff. But the best thing you can do, share this video. I don't got a big marketing department or anything like that, so I rely on word of mouth. If you think my videos are good, then please share this video to help spread the word and help me grow my channel. And don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Let's read the story and see what's going on. What are Democrats getting nervous about? NBC News reports. Some of Biden's allies fear his economic message hasn't broken through and are urging him to do more to neutralize the president's lead on the issue in swing states. President Donald Trump trails Joe Biden nationally and in most swing states and in most swing states, he trails on questions of character and most policy issues like the coronavirus, healthcare, and even crime, except one. And it's a big one. Americans in battleground states still trust Trump over Biden on the economy, which often tops the list of decisive issues for voters. I'd like to stop and just uh, ask you all the question. What's the most important thing to you? Now, naturally, many of us, I think, are concerned about riots because they're destroying people's lives. They're killing people and they're destroying businesses. But in the end, all of the issues I think we're most concerned about, be it health care, be it covid, be it the riots, It's all a subset of the economy. Can Donald Trump make us more prosperous? If he can, then I can rely on myself for my health care. I can rely on myself for my security. And naturally, though, I do want police to be well funded. But if the economy is functioning well, then there will be a strong tax base to support local services and the police, the fire department. The economy really is the most important issue and everything else is just I don't know, a side issue, I guess. Now, now the riots, in my opinion, did take center stage for quite a bit, because if you don't have safety and security, the economy doesn't really all matter all that much. But Trump is still favored on this. In fact, we have a poll coming out of, uh, out of Oregon showing that Donald Trump's approval rating among Oregon voters is higher than Mayor Ted Wheeler. The, I can't say I'm surprised. Now, to be fair, his, his overall disapproval is one point higher, but no one really approves of what Ted Wheeler is doing. Some people do approve of what Trump is doing, though a lot of people hate Trump. NBC News says the president's edge on the economy has begun to worry some allies of Biden who say he needs to do more to neutralize it or Trump could use it to nail down swing voters as Election Day nears. His lead persists even with 8.4 percent unemployment and during a recession that Democrats say has been fueled by Trump's mishandling of the pandemic. Quote, I do think there's work to do here in connecting the dots, dots, said Hari Savugan, a Democratic campaign veteran who worked for Pete Buttigieg's 2020 campaign and for Barack Obama in 2008. We need to do a better job of showing that a failure to deal with the pandemic was a failure to failure to look out for the economy. Many voters don't see the issues as connected. Trump enjoys a net approval rating of 3.5 points on his stewardship of the economy in the real clear politics average while getting a net disapproval score of 15 points on his handling of the coronavirus. Well, they are different issues. When you ask someone about the coronavirus, they're thinking of people's lives. They're thinking about whether someone's going to be in the hospital, whether they're going to be sick or, uh, you know, have the the ventilator put in in their throats or whatever, you know, whatever happens. They're worried about getting sick. They're wondering whether or not Trump did a good job to prevent people from getting sick. They're not really thinking about the economy in that regard. In fact, I would argue that they don't see them as connected because they're kind of not. 
Donald Trump wanted to reopen the economy much, much sooner. And I'm sure a lot of people realized by now that was probably the right move. How many small businesses were shut down because of the COVID lockdown? And who was the one advocating for them to be reopened? Well, it was Republicans and it was Donald Trump. So yes, maybe you can argue he didn't do a good job on the coronavirus. I think he actually did. There are some concerns I have for, the thi- for some of the audio that's come out where he, he knew about the severity, but still had some rallies. But ultimately, it was up to the states. He did ban the travel. I don't know. They haven't suggested what Trump should have done. And he was trying to protect the economy. So if it comes to the economy, people are going to vote for him. They say, while Trump's economic edge has narrowed in national polls, it remains significant in key states likely to decide the election. In Wisconsin, Trump enjoys a net approval of eight points on his handling of the economy in a new poll by Marquette Law School. In Florida, Trump leads Biden by 13 points on which candidate is better on the economy. And in Pennsylvania, he leads Biden by 10 points on the same question in a pair of NBC Marist surveys released this week. We've done a really good job saying Trump is incompetent at handling just about every other issue, Savugan said. The only thing that is his escape hatch is his handling of the economy. Closing off that lane for Trump does a lot of the work of the election. Well, I'm sorry, man. It looks like Donald Trump is actually winning the most important issue. And I bring you now to Pew Research, August 13th. Important issues in the 2020 election, they say. With the country in the midst of a recession, nearly eight in 10 registered voters say the economy will be very important to them in making their decision about who to vote for in the 2020 presidential election. The top issue of 12 included in the survey. The economy is consistently a top voting issue. In a survey asking a similar, though not identical list of issues, uh, not identical list of issues in tw- June 2016, the economy also was the top voting issue. In the current survey, 68% of voters say healthcare is very important to their vote, while 64% cite Supreme Court appointments. And this is really funny because back uh, the, the saying, it's the economy stupid. My understanding is it traces back to 1992 when James Carville told, I, th- I think it was Clinton. He said, number one, you want change, not more of the same. Number two, the economy's stupid. And three, don't forget healthcare. If Donald Trump can't get on point with healthcare, well, then maybe he is in serious trouble. He's gone for the law and order message, and the riots really have helped, in my opinion. That's why Biden was freaking out and rushing across the country to to address them. But Biden's response following the the, the riot narrative sort of dying down has not been strong enough, in my opinion. He's going after Trump on COVID. Perhaps a strategy there is that COVID really is a healthcare issue, but I don't think so. I think COVID is its own issue that encompasses several different things, which includes the riots, the economy, and healthcare. No, I think healthcare issues are are significant and Trump needs to address them specifically. Now, he did issue an executive order lowering drug prices, which went through and astounded a lot of people. And he did. He does have other executive orders that probably are going to earn him some favor in this regard. But aside from these polls, I guess the bigger issue is, well, this 70 percent of Republicans, 60 percent of Democrats say people lie when taking polls. So to be fair, this poll isn't saying they are lying, but everybody else is lying. That's what everyone thinks. But there was, in fact, a study showing that many people said they would lie, and it makes a lot of sense. There's two big reasons why they're going to lie. Well, there's a couple big reasons. For one, if you're a Trump supporter who thinks the fake news is the enemy of the people, are you going to, like, you get a phone call from NBC Marist? Like, hey, I'm a journalist with NBC Marist. We're doing a poll. Can I ask you a question? Uh, yeah, sure. Like, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. A lot of people won't do it. They're scared. There's another big issue, though. 
People just want money, man. Who wants to admit it? Do you want to be the person to go outside and be like, I don't care about the refugees. I don't care about COVID. I don't care about sick people. I just want money, baby. Nobody wants to be the person to say that. So when it comes to the polls, they're not going to tell you. But when they go to the voting booth, they will. Well, here's the story from Newsweek. This is funny. A new poll suggests that two thirds of all registered voters believe that people lie about their political preferences when taking part in polls. A Hill-Harris X survey released Friday found that 66% believe others are likely to lie to pollsters when asked about politics, while 34% believe lying was unlikely. A larger majority of Republicans said that others lied, 70% compared to 60% of Democrats. The poll found that 67% of independents agreed. The survey was conducted uh, online among 971 registered voters on August 31st, with a margin of error of 3.1%. Although President Donald Trump has continued to trail Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden in most polls, he has continued to insist that a silent majority of Americans support him. If enough so-called secret Trump voters exist, those who are unwilling to admit their support for the president to pollsters, Trump could achieve another poll-defying victory in November. It's not really poll-defying, though. What a lot of people don't realize about what happened in 2016 is that the polls were actually not that bad. They did miss a lot of Trump's base, but the pundits were wrong. They were like, Hillary Clinton has a 100% chance of victory, an 80% chance of victory, and they ignored the way the math really played out. So even though the polls are showing us all of these things, I got, I got, I got more to show you, man. It may actually be that Trump will lose very, very, very much so in the national popular vote. I'm talking like major numbers, five, seven percent, and still win the Electoral College. This could be a bad thing. But let me just point this out. If it is true that people are really lying about their polling, about about their political preferences, then why should I believe 538? They say Biden is favored to win the election. Hi there, I'm 5e Fox, and I'm here to show you around. Each of these maps is an example of how things might shake out on election day. And they say, out of all these maps, Trump only has five. So, uh, not looking too good for the president. And it looks like there's about 20. So all in all, they say that Trump has around a 25% chance of winning to Joe Biden's uh, 74% chance. But if it is true, people have said they lie and other people believe they lie and they're all lying. I think they're going to go for the money, man. I think they're going for the money. I think you got all these people on social media posting all this virtue signal like, yeah, yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter. We're all about racial justice. Woo. Uh, Can I get a raise, man? Because I'm going to vote for the guy who's going to get me paid. It's not going to be Joe Biden. Donald Trump called Black Lives Matter a Marxist organization and said, maybe I'm wrong. If I am, I'm going to lose an election. Maybe people really know what Black Lives Matter represents and what the left represents. And why would they want to vote for someone who's going to take their money away? Maybe a lot of people don't know this. I'm pretty sure they do. But Trump instituted tax cuts that helped out a lot of people. And uh, if Trump doesn't get reelected, those 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 taxes come back like that. That's, that's what I've been told, actually. And uh, I'm like, wow. Talk about a very clever way to uh, uh, campaign. It's smart on Trump's part, for whatever reason. They're set to expire if he's not reelected. I doubt Joe Biden is going to cut taxes for people, so your taxes will likely go up. Can't imagine people are going to like that. But there, there are some things that I find to be uh, disconcerting. Notably this, California hits highest voter registration rate since 1940. They say California has registered a record high of 21 million voters this year recording the highest rate of registration since the election of 1940, according to a report from voter data, vo- uh, uh, voter data firm, Political Data Inc. 
the influx of registrations means 83% of eligible Californians are registered to vote. The last time it was that high was 1940, when the rate was slightly, slightly higher than 83%, according to the, to the data, data firm. Nearly two thirds of the new registrations are millennials or Generation Y born after 1996, the report found. Young voters represent 37% of total registrants, while baby boomers, those born between 46 and 64, represent 29%. I looked at some data before that said that in California, it's like two to one. Like for every two Democrats, they register one Republican. And some people have suggested to me based on the story, what if many of these are actually Republicans? How would you know? Well, the data suggests they're Democrats, but we won't know how they vote. They're just voters. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. But it's California, man. I, 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 I kind of think it's going to be, you know, two thirds Democrat, one third Republican. It doesn't matter, though. This doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And this is actually making it worse for the Democrats. You know why? National polling is skewed. National polling is wrong. So what if more people register in California? We know California is going to give their electoral votes to Joe Biden. They're not going to give them to Trump, in which case it doesn't matter how many people they register. What matters is the swing states. And in the swing states, Trump owns the issue of the economy. But there is I do have some 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 fear here, man. Imagine this. Imagine Joe Biden wins by 10 percent in the national popular vote. And, you know, it's 50 to 40 or something or, you know, 52 to, to 42 or something like that. Then you start getting all these leftists saying, no way. That swing in the popular vote is too high. And the American people don't want Trump, but Trump still wins the Electoral College. Then things could start to get particularly spicy in terms of violence. Now, one thing I did mention earlier on is Trump's response to the riots. And I'll show, I, I want to show you this, uh, this very interesting story from Oregon Live. They say Oregon voters disprove, disapprove of Portland protest. Feel police aren't using enough force, poll finds. That to me was kind of shocking. They want more police, like heavy handed. Like they want the, the police to use more force. They want more people arrested. They don't like the protests. That sounds like something Trump would do. So I wonder in a place like Oregon or in Portland that is very, very left leaning, do people of this country actually approve of Trump crushing the far left? I think the answer is yes. Take a look at this poll. They say approval level of Portland police. And we can see that uh, you know, it's not so great. I think this is the here we go. I'm sorry. Approval response to protests. This is the one I was looking for. A majority of Oregon voters disapprove of how all major elected leaders have responded to the ongoing protests across the United States and Oregon. But take a look at that old President Trump strongly approve 25%, somewhat approve 14%. Then you look at Mayor Ted Wheeler, strongly approve 8% and somewhat approve 22%. You know what that means? That means that Donald Trump's approval rating is nine points higher, <laughs> nine points higher among uh, Oregonians. That's interesting. Now, to be fair, there's parts of Oregon that are not super far left. And you can see that 51% strongly disapprove and 8% somewhat disapprove. And you know, Mayor, Mayor Ted Wheeler is only one point below that. So I'll just put it this way. I'm not surprised that Oregon disapproves of Trump strongly. Come on, of course they do. The media is just pumping out hit piece after hit piece. But I am surprised to see that more people approve of Trump even strongly than anyone else. 
Uh, in this poll, Kate Brown, 10%, Ted Wheeler, 8%, even the Portland police, 19%. Now, all in all, people support the Portland police more than they support Trump. But Trump has the highest, strong, strongest approval rating, and the police aren't elected leaders. I wonder what this means for the rest of the country, even deep blue areas. Stands to reason that Trump actually has pretty good approval rating on this issue as well, and it will play a role. However, Democrats build big edge in early voting. Far more Democrats than Republicans are requesting mail-in ballots in key battleground states, including voters who didn't participate in 2016. I don't know what's going to happen. There's some re- there's a lot of reasons to suggest the Democrats are going to win. For a while, I thought Trump was going to lose when the unrest was getting really bad, notably the, the, the early, early stage of the Black Lives Matter protests. And the reason was Democrats were seeing polling gains like crazy, betting odds favoring the Democrats like crazy. Black Lives Matter was good for Democrats. But then the riots were just getting out of hand. The looting went nuts. Democrats wouldn't solve the problem. And the betting odds flipped back to 50-50. We then saw Joe Biden panic. The riots really did hurt them. Well, I believe that Donald Trump has actually solved the problem in Portland for the most part. And that's actually bad news for Trump. But what would you have him do? You see, Antifa has been putting out messages that the feds have been showing up to people's homes and arresting them on similar charges that the state had charged them with. Basically, Oregon State Police are deputized. They go and make an arrest and then the feds prosecute. And now the extremists are in jail. And all that's left are peaceful protests. It's a victory for Donald Trump, assuming that's exactly what happened. But now that the riots are out of the are out of the news, well, now there's no issue to talk about and nothing to make Biden look bad with. The, re- the reason Biden would look bad is that the Democrats have placated and consistently supported the riots. Perhaps Trump needs to get on message with this and say the riots are simmering down because I took action and Joe Biden had nothing but support for uh, for these protest groups, for the most part, he wouldn't say Antifa by name. He wouldn't call out Black Lives Matter. Of course not, though he did condemn the violence and the rioting. I think there's a strong message there for Trump to say straight up the Democrats consistently supported this. They would not make it stop. The local DAs who are elected by, by these leftists and these Democrats would not prosecute these people. And until Trump came in, now the violence is over. I don't know what we'll see moving forward if Donald Trump wins, but maybe there will be violence. This story from Reuters, free speech gun rights on collision course in U.S., some legal experts say. Well, I'm not a legal expert, but I would agree. Uh, You see, we got more and more groups showing up marching around with guns. And you see what happens in Kenosha. CNN ran a sympathetic interview with one of the guys who got shot, the guy who who, who survived and lost his bicep. And he's giving this teary-eyed interview as a survivor of this shooting. And it's like, bro, if you come out armed with a gun— and you see other people armed with a gun. I got no sympathy for you if you want to engage in conflict. If you if you engage in conflict, you understand the ramifications of what happens. If you go, you, you, you go out with a gun, you're expecting to fight. This guy claims he went out there to help people. OK, well, so did Kyle Rittenhouse. He just had a bigger gun than you and he shot you. <laughs> That's conflict. But they want to prop him up. I'll tell you this. I don't care. I want it all to stop. I don't want I don't want Kyle Rittenhouse out there. I don't want more situations like that. I don't want this other guy out there armed with a gun. I don't want anyone dying. I want the riots to be over. And I see Trump having done that. I also see peace forming in the Middle East. and That's kind of crazy. And a withdrawal of our troops. These are all really important issues. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what do Americans care about? Will they have money so they can keep living, working, paying their bills, eating food? And who's the best choice for that? Trump, perhaps. 
If Trump gets elected, the left will not accept it and they will get violent. That's what they've been telling us. I certainly hope that's not the case, but it seems to be what they are suggesting will happen. If that does happen, I think we're going to see a lot of arrests and that could get really dangerous. You know, Hillary Clinton said Joe Biden should not concede for any reason. And let me just wrap all this up and give you a, a, here's what I'm trying to say. You know, I, I look at this at this news. I look at 538. Joe Biden's going to win. Joe Biden's going to win. They keep telling us Joe Biden's going to win. It just seems insane to me. Joe Biden winning? I mean, maybe, maybe he's a one-term president. Maybe he's like H.W. Bush or something. Because he, I don't, I don't see him getting reelected. Maybe Trump is just that bad. I have no idea. I like Trump. You know, there, there's a lot of things I don't like about him. But considering what we've just seen with the peace deals in the Middle East, I absolutely am very happy for the for the for the job that Trump has done, especially in this past few months. If you want to blame him from for COVID, give me some suggestions to what you think he should have done. I haven't heard any good ones. I'm sure some people have some fine, whatever. They keep telling us Biden's going to win. They, they say Biden should not concede. They say that Biden is winning nationally. They say Biden is winning all of these important polls. That's weird to me. It's weird. It almost feels too plastic. It doesn't make sense that I can see nothing but Trump signs for the most part, that I can see the riots crushed. Donald Trump comes in, shuts them all down. That Trump gets this historic Israel UAE peace deal and now Bahrain peace deal, Kosovo, Serbia. All of these things are amazing. And Americans believe the economy is the most important issue and Trump is the guy for the economy. And you want to tell me Biden's going to win? I just I just feel like that can't be true. But maybe it is. What do I know? You better go vote. You better go vote. You better request your your absentee or your mail-in vote or whatever it is you got to do because dirty games are afoot. Now, the game is rigged. I certainly think so. They're going to ban Trump on social media if he tries to declare victory early. They're setting this up in every way possible to make sure Trump can't win. So you know what? I got to be fair. I wouldn't be surprised if he loses. I would not be surprised if he loses. I, I thought in 2016, based on the support I had seen, that Donald Trump was on track to win, that he would have won 2016. But I just didn't believe Hillary Clinton would allow it. I felt like the game was rigged. And I was like, Trump can't win. They would never let someone like him win. And he won. And I was like, wow, I guess you can win. And that made me realize, wow, maybe we actually have a real election system. I, I had no faith in the election system. I didn't think it was legit. Right now, I see them pulling out all the stops, desperately trying to stop Trump. And they're really delegitimizing everything. It's them. It's, it's not the Republicans or Trump. We'll see how this plays out. But I'd be willing to bet it's the economy, stupid. I'll see you all in the next segment coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all then. The man who killed the Trump supporter in Portland, apparently, and this is news to me, some people suggested he turned his own gun on himself. I had not heard that. I had heard that his life was taken because he was attempting to flee and drew a weapon. A lot of the reporting I saw said things like there was a shootout, that there were like 40 shots fired. But now we have this narrative from the Daily Mail, which I find particularly interesting. Death of Antifa gunman who was killed by a fugitive task force after allegedly shooting at a Trump supporter is ruled a homicide. As a witness claims, cops opened fire without warning while he was eating a gummy worm and clutching his cell phone. Perhaps. But first, let's debunk some of the nonsense. It's a homicide, meaning someone killed someone else. That's it. It doesn't mean that you are committing a crime. If someone dies because of someone else's actions, it's a homicide for the most part. So if he was reaching for his gun and the cops shot and killed him, they wouldn't put like self-defense homicide. They'd say homicide. 
Now, as to whether or not this witness is correct, this is where it gets interesting. Was this a retaliatory killing? Meaning the fugitive task force says you killed a Trump supporter. You're going to go down. I really doubt it. I don't believe the law enforcement guys were like, how dare they shoot this Trump supporter? We don't know. Maybe. I just don't really think so. Here's a story from the Daily Mail. They say the death of an Antifa gunman, the Antifa gunman, ooh, who was killed by a fugitive task force after allegedly lying in wait and shooting dead a Trump supporter has been ruled a homicide. Michael Forrest Rhino, 48, was shot multiple times and killed by U.S. Marshals outside an apartment block in Washington state last Thursday. The officers swooped in on the self-proclaimed anti-fascist to arrest him after he was charged with the murder of right-wing activist Aaron J. Danielson, 39, during a protest in downtown Portland on August 29th. The Thurston County Coroner's Office ruled Rhino's death a homicide Wednesday, confirming the Antifa supporter did not turn his own gun on himself in the police ambush. I had not heard that. Is this the narrative that was going around that he killed himself? I didn't hear that. An autopsy revealed he died from multiple shots to his head and torso. Thurston County Coroner Gary Warnock said it is still not clear how many times Rhino was shot by officers, but all the bullets recovered from his body have been sent to a lab for analysis. It's not clear. I mean, couldn't you count the bullets you pulled out of him? At least four officers, including two Pierce County Sheriff's deputies, a Lakewood police officer and a State Department of Corrections officer fired multiple rounds at the suspect during the incident. The release of the official cause of death comes as a witness who lives in the apartment complex where the shooting took place, cast doubts on claims made by the task force surrounding Rhino's death. Nate Dingus, Nate Dingus, an eyewitness of the police shootout, told the Washington Post Wednesday, Rhino did not pull a weapon and was eating candy when the officers opened fire without warning. I don't believe this. I mean, think about it. You got a guy who's lying in wait and he commits this murder. He goes and gives an interview. He's just sitting outside in his known location eating candy. I don't believe that's true. I- I'm sorry. I think, you, look, you, you got to be careful about this because you got a lot of people up there who hate the cops. Maybe this guy likes Antifa. I don't know. Look, far be it from me to impugn the honor of this witness. I don't know who Nate Dingus is. And maybe it's true. Maybe the cops were like, we, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Maybe there's a happy medium, right? Maybe this guy didn't really reach for a weapon. Maybe they thought he was, and they just said he did. Maybe they knew this guy was a violent killer who was on the run, and they were just scared and didn't want to deal with it. And they killed the guy. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying it might not be a retaliatory thing. Like, they're, you know, the life is claiming that they were working with the Proud Boys or whatever, and so that they were naturally... You know. I've seen the narrative coming up from some Antifa people that he wasn't fighting back, that they just killed him. Maybe it's more they were scared of him and still not good. So they show some of the some of the scene. They say Dingus, 39, said he saw Rhino holding a cell phone and eating a gummy worm while strolling to his car outside the Tanglewood Terrace townhomes apartment complex about 7 p.m. that evening. The witness claimed the cops didn't identify themselves or try to arrest Rhino before opening fire. He said Rhino hid behind his car when the shooting started and did not try to get inside. The car was blocked in by two unmarked police vehicles, Dingus said. The witness said the cops unleashed a hail of gunfire on Rhino before pausing when one shouted stop, then opening fire once again. He also said he didn't see Rhino armed with a gun. Dingus also said the task force waited multiple minutes before giving Rhino emergency medical treatment. Wow. If the suspect did not pull a gun or reach for a weapon, the officers would have been required to warn him before shooting. 
Dingus's statement casts doubt on the version of events given by federal authorities. I got to be honest, I'm not a big fan of blindly believing the government. But if I had to, I believe you had you had two different agencies. Maybe they're lying and covering up for each other. It's a possibility. That's why body cams are important. But it's a tough call. I'm not going to give more credence to the cops because they're cops. But I will say there's more of them than the one guy in his apartment. However, the one guy in his apartment is a non he's a third party. He's not affiliated. So I don't know, man, take it for take it. You, you, you have to make assumptions on your own and figure out what you think is, is 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 right. They say other witnesses told the Olympian they saw a man open fire and heard 40 or 50 shots from what they believe was a semi-automatic rifle before officers returned fire and shot him dead. You see, now this is where it gets strange. The left is going to choose to believe whoever they want. They're going to say he wasn't armed. It was it was a killing. While other witnesses have said, dude had a semi-auto rifle. And that seems to be the case. I mean, it sounds like it. They say the Pacific Northwest Violent Offender Task Force, headed by the U.S. Marshal Service, were carrying out an arrest warrant for Reinhold after he allegedly shot dead Danielson during a protest days earlier. They go on to mention what happened with Danielson. We know this. They go on to mention what happened at the parking garage. For those that aren't familiar, he was stalking these guys. Like, he went and hid. He hid behind this little wall, grabbed his gun, and was waiting for him. It was targeted. They're going to say the warrant states, Reinel sent text messages to his own son offering to trade marijuana for a handgun weeks before the murder. The victim himself was armed with a handgun, which was found in his waistband after he died and did not appear to have been fired during the incident, the documents show. If they didn't recover a semi-auto rifle, then it sounds like whatever these witnesses are, were not correct. So I, I guess that's the gist of it, man. I don't know. I don't think there's, uh, he said he had no choice. He was in self-defense. Look at this. They had a memorial for the guy. This is why I think we're in serious trouble. We don't know what happened with this shooting. All right. But I'll tell you what. You're going to memorialize a dude who stalked two guys and then killed one of them. Why does he get a memorial? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. That was that was really, really wrong. This memorial is for Jay. Now I feel like an idiot. I'm tired. Spare me. They put up a memorial for Jay that I totally get. This guy was innocent, but it, it, it is true. I'm, I'm looking at this photo. No, it is true. They did. They, they did hold a kind of memorial for the shooter. And that's what I was referring to. I saw the photo and assumed there was the photo for the bad guy. But the uh, Antifa guys went up to the police station and they started writing his name, saying you killed this guy and things like that. So what I'm trying to get to is that you've got the left and the right and they're both, you know, I don't know, lionizing their side. But there is an objective reality. This guy, Aaron J. Danielson, was walking down the street, minding his own business. And this guy, Reinhold, stalked him and executed him. And that's that's the that's the objective reality we can see in the evidence. So for them to go out and, and, and write this guy's name in the street and protest the cops over this. Look, man, I'll tell you what, if it's true that the cops did just unleash a, a, a torrent of bullets on Reinhold without warning, that's really, really bad. That's really, really, really bad. Going to need some evidence that's the case, though, other than the one witness saying so, because other people aren't saying that. But I'll tell you what Donald Trump is saying. Donald Trump says he will put down the insurrection if he is declared winner. And there are uh, and there are riots on election night. That's that's basically the gist of this story. Trump is vowing to crush the riots if he has to. I think we got to point out the riots seem to be chilling out. Now, I've talked to some journalists who told me, don't get your hopes up yet. It seems like Trump's strategy may have worked. The de- uh, deputizing the police, I've mentioned several times, the, the riots are kind of slowing down. But I talked to some journalists who said there have been lulls before for reasons of like, 
you know, just for organizational reasons. They may be rearming. They may be traveling. They may be headed to Washington, D.C. So if that's the case, then we will likely need Donald Trump to put down the, quote, insurrection. Well, he didn't say he was going to put on the insurrection. He said it's called the insurrection or whatever. I think he's referring to the Insurrection Act, saying that if we have to, we can end the violence. I am hoping, I am absolutely hoping that what we saw in Portland is the worst we have experienced and we won't see anything else. But I kind of feel like we've got these warring factions that are looking for more and the Proud Boys are going to be going up to Portland. You may have heard this. I talked about it on the 26th of September. I hope that it's not uh, that, that it's not violent. But I got to tell you, man, why should I assume otherwise? They're going to go up there. Antifa is going to get angry. They're going to come out. They're going to claim their, their community is being attacked. And if it gets violent, then there's just more reason for escalation. And I got to say, the escalation may be bad for Trump. I don't know. Depends on what the Proud Boys do. But I know the media is probably going to frame it that they're invaders anyway. Joe Biden's already saying Trump's militias. Well, if you're going to go out and do this, it's, it's probably going to hurt Trump. I don't know about this Antifa gunman shooting himself. I did not hear that. But uh, there's this. There's the story. Rule the homicide. Let me just clarify one important point before you before we wrap up. What I, what I mentioned in the uh, earlier, and everybody should uh, uh, should know, homicide does not mean murder. It doesn't mean the cops intentionally killed him without warning. It just means he died at the hands of another person. So I don't know. Just an update, I guess. Uh, I'm kind of tired today. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. There is no shared reality anymore. We have disparate realities. We have fractured realities. We have no, there's not really two tribes in the culture war. There's multiple factions. It's hard to describe. But this is a really good example. This story from Fox News about the fractured realities and how bad things have really gotten. Take a look at this. CNN head Jeff Zucker offered Trump debate advice and floated a weekly show. Leaked 2016 Cohen call reveals. Was this perhaps a bribe to Donald Trump? Hey, man, why don't you, you know, you, you lose and uh, we'll give you a TV show. How does that sound? Or was this just dirty dealing? CNN saying, here's what you got to do to win the debate. And uh, hey, it doesn't work out. We got you a TV show, right? This is CNN, the Orange Man Bad Network. Here's what Fox News reports. CNN President Jeff Zucker oversees a network that has been nothing but hostile to Trump. But newly revealed audio of a March 10th, 2016 conversation with then Trump attorney Michael Cohen shows Zucker attempting to cozy up to the then Republican frontrunner. In the recording obtained by Tucker Carlson tonight, Zucker boasts of the importance of his network, telling Cohen, you cannot be elected president of the United States without CNN. You guys have had great instincts, great guts and great understanding of everything, Zucker told Cohen. But you're missing the boat on how it works going forward. Later in the conversation, Zucker expressed hesitation about contacting Cohen by email while referring to Trump fondly as the boss. So what happened? When did Zucker turn on Trump and when did CNN become the orange man bad network? The moment he realized, hey, there's sweet money in ragging on Trump. And that's what I'm saying about disparate realities. I mean, look, if you watch my content, I have a bias pretty much against the Democrats, and I think I'm objectively correct in calling them out for the things they do. I don't much care for the Republicans because I feel like the Republicans don't really do anything. And it's more of an issue of Trump versus the Democrats. I think Trump is bad for a lot of reasons, but I think he's really, really good for a lot of other reasons, namely the things he's done with Middle Eastern peace agreements. For that, you'll come to my content and you'll often see me say like the media, they're lying because they are, and I think they are. 
And you'll, you'll you hear, hear me saying Trump not that bad and, and Trump's on some good things. But if you go to CNN, you'll hear the complete opposite. Now, in my opinion, CNN is lying on purpose. They know they're lying and Joe Biden is lying. But they tell everyone the exact same thing I'm telling you, that they're the ones being honest, that I'm the one lying. I think I'm right. Many of the people on the left think they're right. But I think the, the I think they're objectively lying because I can see both sides of, you know, of, of, of the culture war. I can read news from mainstream media outlets and fact check it and realize they're lying. A lot of regular people who aren't doing research can't. And this is creating a fractured reality. When you have CNN trying to play both sides, hey, we'll give you we'll give you a show if you lose now. Oh, Trump is so bad. It's, it's many. I feel like I feel like the argument of the grifter that we often hear, it's mostly the left. It really is. And they accuse me of that. And that's just silly. It is. I literally turn the camera on. I have no script. And I talk about what I think and how I feel. And I read a bunch of different news outlets. I don't just read one. Let's, read, let's see what else is going on in the story. Let's read more. They say, quote, I'm very conscious of not putting too much in email. As you're a lawyer, as you understand, Zucker has heard telling Cohen. And you know, as fond as I am of the boss, he also has a tendency like, you know, if I call him or I email him, he then is capable of going out at his next rally and saying that we just talked and I can't have that if you know what I'm saying. So he was secretly, secretly offering up Trump, Trump's team benefits and advice. Yet he was concerned that Trump would go out and claim they were talking and he didn't want to look bad. That's the du- du- duplicitousness. Is that the word? Duplicitousy? I don't know, whatever. That's the deceit of the mainstream media. They can air all of these things. They can have their anchors say Trump is bad for these reasons. But behind your back, they're just trying to make some cash, man. He continued. It's not that I don't want to talk to Trump every day. I've, I've, I've just got to be careful because I've got to be careful. I just don't want him talking about it on the campaign trail. But you know what? I'm going to give him a call right now and I'm going to wish him luck in the debate tonight. Zucker was referring to that night's GOP primary debate, which CNN was hosting. The CNN chief then floated potential post-election plans for Trump, who Zucker previously had worked with as the former CEO of NBC Universal at the height of popularity of Trump's reality show, The Apprentice. I have all these proposals for him, Zucker told Cohen. I want to do a weekly show with him and all this stuff. So why didn't we hear more about this? I, I missed this story a couple days ago because news broke about uh, Bob Woodward and the Trump recordings, and this one got ignored. Could you imagine If the left realized that the CNN narrative they were getting was actually they were trying to help Trump, how amazing would that be if people realized this? Zucker went on to compliment Trump's debate performances, telling Cohen, I think the other guys are going to gang up on him tremendously. And I think he's going to hold his own as he does every time. He never lost debate. And you know what? He's good at this. He's going to do great. He also offered Cohen some debate advice for Trump, specifically how his rivals may attack the celebrity real estate mogul as a con man, saying, quote, you know what you should do? Whoever's around him today should just be calling him a con man all day. So he's used to it so that when he hears it from Marco Rubio, it doesn't matter. Zucker said, hey, con man, hey, con man, hey, con man. He thinks that's his name. You know, CNN did not immediately respond to Fox News's request for comment. Last week, Tucker Carlson tonight unveiled a recording of a conversation between Cohen and CNN anchor Chris Cuomo, who is her denying <laughs> misconduct allegations. Where are these leaks coming from? We had another leak where apparently Jake Tapper was trying to get Sean Parnell to run in a different district so he wouldn't run against Connor Lamb or that 
if he did run a different district, he wouldn't. I, I, you got to be careful with phrasing because Tapper is denying it. But where are these leaks from CNN coming from? This is interesting. Do you know how many effing phone calls I've gotten from people at ABC who say that reporters are calling about a calling and lying about things they heard about me to try and get stories about me when I was at ABC? Cuomo asked Cohen. Guys calling and saying, I heard he's the Charlie Rose of ABC, used to invite women to the hotel and open up his bathrobe. Do I look like the kind of effing guy who would do that? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I reply with a chuckle. He does, in my opinion. Are you kidding me? The dude who lied about being under quarantine? Yeah. Uh, if I heard that, I'd be like, sounds like Cuomo. Sound- he- he's-, he's, a- he's an unethical, dirty dude. He lied about being under quarantine was at some secret property, got spotted by some dude, made jokes about it, and lied later and acted like it, it, it wasn't, you know what? Yeah, Cuomo, you don't seem like a good guy. After the Cuomo audio was made public, Cohen tweeted that the only people in possession of the audio recordings are the Department of Justice, President Trump, and himself. I did not give this recording or authorization for its use to Fox News or anyone, he said. POTUS and cronies violated my First Amendment rights, and now this, all to discredit me and my book, What's Next? Uh, yeah, or you leaked it to promote your book, dude. Well, I saw this from NBC News. It's Buyer's Market. It's Dylan Byers, and he's giving an analysis. And he brings up an interesting point that I think is fair to say, considering what I said about uh, Jake Tapper the other day. News is a business with all the behind the scenes wheeling and dealing that entails. But it also has the distinction of being a business that markets itself at, by promising things, integrity, transparency, fairness. That make the behind the scenes machinations especially unseemly to the average consumer. This is how Tucker Carlson, who has privately advised Trump and works for Fox News, a network that is unabashedly cozy with the president, is still able to accuse Zucker of coziness and make it stick because political media coziness isn't part of the CNN brand. That's a really good point. The criticism of CNN and Jake Tapper specifically, and now Zucker, is that they claim to be objective, fair, and balanced when they're actually very partisan. Fox News we know is partisan, and we know favors the president, so it's no big deal when we hear that uh, Tucker Carlson is advising the president. Now, to be fair as well, Tucker wasn't advising the president trying to get him to not run. Tucker was telling the president about COVID to take it seriously. And there's a big difference between Jake Tapper intervening on behalf of a Democrat, potentially, or just trying to influence a Republican to run in a different district. That is unethical. Tucker shouldn't do that either. Tucker went to the president and said, you got to take COVID very seriously. And there you go. That makes sense. They say, but coziness, like it or not, is part of the business. It's how many reporters cultivate sources, how producers and bookers land big interviews, and yes, how some executives foster relationships that can at times be mutually beneficial. This is not to say that some news executives don't believe in integrity, transparency, and all the other things they market. Many do. But it's also important to understand that there's a business side to this business, one preoccupied with ratings and ad sales and integrity as a marketing slogan. And it tests the sacrosanct ideals of the fourth estate almost every single day. Wow, that's a great statement. I completely agree. It's a marketing tactic. When Fox News says fair and balanced, it's marketing. When CNN says the most trusted name in news, it is marketing. When MSNBC says we're wingnut conspiracy theorists, that is also marketing. They don't say that. I'm assuming they do because they are wingnut conspiracy theorists. But this is what you got to realize. At the end of the day, these media companies do not market in truth. They come to you and they say, oh, harumph, harumph. And what do they really want? Money. So I think it's funny when people say I'm a grifter. It's like, no, my opinions are my opinions. I have no script. I'm just 
talking. I don't have a teleprompter or anything like that. And when I say something, I really mean it. I have no marketing department. I actually, it's really funny on this channel. You may notice there's no graphics. There's no descriptions. I don't do anything. I just record these things and then press upload. And hey, it works. CNN and his other media companies, on the other hand, have like A-B testing where they're like, which one will generate more rage and shares so we can get paid? Which story got the better ratings? Hey, maybe we should do a Trump TV show because people like Trump. I don't know where Zucker is on that today, but I'm not going to pretend like I trust them. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all short. If you were expecting an October surprise with the Durham report dropping and indictments coming out, I got bad news for you. At least 15 phones belonging to Robert Mueller's team, including FBI lover Lisa Pages, were wiped before being handed over to the DOJ to be checked for anti-Trump bias. Amazing. There's not going to be justice. They purged their phones, some because they said their passwords were missing, but it doesn't matter. They're wiping their cell phones. Wow. So do you think we're going to get evidence? Do you think people will be brought to justice? No, I don't think so. Sometimes everything we see, to me, it feels like just a dog and pony show to convince all of us that there's this grand battle between Trump and the evil Obamagate Democrats and the left doesn't believe it. And so what do you get? Faux division, I guess. Is that the plan? I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get all conspiratorial because we're already dealing with a conspiracy theory story as it is. But but there there was no justice in the Mueller investigation for what the left thought was going to be justice. No, I, I actually I take that back. There was justice in the sense that Trump was essentially exonerated. I say essentially because it's hard to prove a negative. And now the left is claiming, well, they didn't prove he wasn't colluding. They just couldn't prove he was. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Innocent until proven guilty. You don't got the evidence. There's nothing there. But I look at this and it feels like so predictable. Like, you know, when it comes to Epstein, everybody knew that he like something was going to happen. And then there's that funny story. I think it was Chris Reagan who tweeted this. He's a YouTuber. He was like, I got in the car and the Uber driver looks back and goes, yo, that guy in that jail didn't kill himself. And everybody's laughing. It's funny because we all knew. And I got to say, we all knew they weren't going to have indictments right? It's not just this story. Check this out. Nora Danahy, Connecticut prosecutor who was top aide to John Durham's Trump-Russia investigation, resigns amid concern about pressure from Attorney General William Barr. I guess the claim is that there's political, political motivations in pushing them forward. I don't believe it, but does it matter? If she does, we're not going to see justice. Or maybe we assumed there was justice where there didn't need to be. Maybe it really was a bunch of bumbling morons at the FBI who didn't know what they were doing and just weren't smart. And now they're not working there anymore. Let's read about these cell phones. This is the big story. Daily Mail says Mueller and his team were investigated by the Department of Justice for alleged bias in pursuit of any proof that Trump or his administration colluded with Russia. The investigation concluded that there was no bias, but as part of it, Mueller's team was told to hand over cell phones. Many had been wiped of their data. Among the reasons given was that people had forgotten their passcodes. There was irreversible screen damage or people had lost them. Andrew Weissman, Mueller's deputy, accidentally wiped his phone on two occasions after entering the wrong passcode too many times in March 2018. And lawyer James Quarles' phone wiped itself without his intervention. Interesting. It wiped itself. How does that happen? I just turned my phone on one day and boop, it was all gone. Everything I had ever done. You know, they can get the data back. 
This is why I don't trust that there will be real justice. I'm fairly confident the wipe that was implemented in these phones is probably a basic wipe and it's not going to eliminate everything. And you could get forensic analysis, you know, uh, computer forensics to go through this and find lost data. The wiped phone information emerged in newly released documents from the DOJ at the request of Judicial Watch, a conservative group. So we can see a lot of these documents here, some screenshots. They say attorney Greg Andres also had a phone that was wiped because of a forgotten passcode. Records indicate that the phones of both Kyle Freeney and Rush Atkinson were wiped accidentally after the wrong passcode was entered on too many occasions. That doesn't make sense. This is complete BS. Your phone doesn't just wipe after several, you know, if you pick up your phone right now, put in the wrong passcode, okay? And press go. You do it too many times, it'll say, wait 30 seconds. If you do it 100 times over the course of several months, it doesn't just randomly wipe your phone. This sounds like BS. Other officials had their names redacted, but made claims they unintentionally restored their phones to their factory settings, which deleted all information pertaining to communication. They are, de- they are destroying evidence. Whether it was intentional or not, they destroyed evidence. Can you get in trouble for unintentionally destroying evidence? I'm asking legitimately. I don't know. I'm assuming yes. But what are they going to do? What would have been a very serious treason charge or conspiracy charge now becomes a tampering with evidence charge. And then they can rule there was no intent and it was a mistake. And what do you do? How do you prove it? One redacted phone, one redacted person's phone was in airplane mode. No passcode provided. Data unable to be recovered. So it had to be wiped. The OIG opened the investigation into possible bias in the origins of the Russia investigation, determining that while there was significant concerns with how the investigation was conducted, the FBI did compile with policies, uh, did, did compile, compile with policies when they launched the probe. Comply. And I get a copy editor, guys. I'm like, what are you talking about? The report found that there was no intentional misconduct or political bias surrounding the probe's launch. However, I believe Bill Barr disagreed. They say, it did find, however, the FBI took part in a number of errors when in the application process. This included at least 17 significant inaccuracies and omissions in the page applications. Attorney General Bill Barr has publicly disagreed with Inspector General Michael Horowitz's findings. Prior to the 2016 presidential election, Page had exchanged anti-Trump texts with the ex-FBI head of counterintelligence, Peter Strzok, during an extramarital affair. The texts were seized upon by Trump as evidence of alleged political bias. Um, yeah, if a dude says we're going to stop Trump and we have a backup plan, I mean, what else is it? Trump has long decried Mueller's investigation into him as a baseless witch hunt designed specifically to take him down. Yeah. Well, now we have this federal prosecutor, Nora Dehaney, Danahy, a top aide to U.S. attorney John Durham in his Russia investigation has quietly resigned from the U.S. Justice Department probe, at least partly out of concern that the investigation team is being pressed for political reasons to produce a report before its, before its work is done. Danahy, a highly regarded prosecutor who has worked with or for Durham for decades, informed colleagues in the U.S. attorney's office in New Haven of her resignation from the Department of Justice by email Thursday evening. The short email was a brief farewell message and said nothing about political pressure, her work for Durham, or what the Durham team has produced according to people who received it. Durham, who has never even acknowledged that Danahy was in Washington working for him, had no immediate comment on the resignation. Durham recruited Danahy to join his team after he was appointed by Attorney General William Barr more than a year and a half ago to examine the FBI's legal justification for a disputed counterintelligence investigation 
that looked for ties between President Donald J. Trump's 2016 campaign and Russian efforts to meddle in the election. Dan, he is a career prosecutor who worked closely with Durham before leaving the U.S. attorney's office about a decade ago for a corporate position in the defense industry. Durham persuaded her to return to the Justice Department and within weeks, join his team in Washington in the spring of 2019. So I don't know if we actually have uh, evidence that they were being politically politically pressured other than, I guess, the the Hartford current. But uh, maybe there's something else I don't know. It could maybe it's not really uh, the case. Colleagues said Danny was not is not a supporter of Donald Trump and has been concerned in recent weeks by what she believed was pressure from Barr, who appointed Durham to produce results before the election. They said she has been considering resignation for weeks, conflicted by loyalty to Durham and concern about politics. Durham is notoriously circumspect, and neither he nor members of his team have revealed anything about the direction of their work. But Durham associates, none of whom have specific knowledge of the investigation, have said recently that it is their belief he is under pressure to produce something, perhaps some sort of report before the presidential election in November. The thinking of the associates, all Durham allies, is that the Russia investigation, uh, Russia investigation group will be disbanded and its work lost if Trump's loses. Danny, he was told to expect an assignment uh, from six months to a year of from six months to a year. Uh, what is it? Whatever. Uh, when she agreed to join Durham's team in Washington, colleagues said the work has taken far longer than expected, in part because of complications caused by the coronavirus pandemic. In the meantime, team members, some of whom are current or former federal investigators or prosecutors with homes in Connecticut, have been working long hours in Washington under pressure to produce results, associates said. There is pressure. There's pressure from regular people. Whether or not there's pressure from Trump, I don't know. I'd imagine some, but I'm not going to go ahead and assume that the pressure is something like Bill Barr going to him and saying, I want results now and like slamming the table. More so, it's been months. Why don't we have anything? We had one guy, a lawyer, altered evidence, altered an email. So we know there's some impropriety. Is it a grand conspiracy? No. But we knew we do know people have done things that are wrong. Now, here's what we need to consider in this. There may not be justice as you expect, because we're dealing with what's called a standalone complex, meaning many different people took similar action at the same time, creating the perception of a conspiracy when, in fact, they all just did what they wanted to do. They all hated Trump and they were all biased and Trump deranged. Imagine somebody with Trump derangement syndrome working for the FBI. They're going to be like, Trump is worse than Hitler. They're going to be thinking all these crazy things. They're going to see a Q-tip on the ground and they're going to be like, that's Trump's Q-tip. And so they're going to go nuts. So yes, maybe they're that insane. I I can't believe that after we saw the texts from Strzok and Page where they're like, we're going to do something about it and whatever, that nothing came of it. That to me is just astounding. So I'm not confident, man. Maybe I am just tired today because I am. And, um, you know, just a little, I don't know, maybe something will come of this. And I think, let me put it this way. I actually think we'll get something before the election. I really do. Because it is true. If Biden wins, they will no longer exist. But Trump still has those couple of months before January 20th if he does lose. And we'll see how that plays out. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see you all next time.